Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. Rachel, you know what I really want to do today? I hope, I so hope, I so hope we can do this. I really hope we could answer a listener question. Do you, do we know, do we have any in the hopper? Chris, I have the perfect question for us. Uh, excellent. I knew you'd have one. We just got a uh, DM on Instagram, on our Talking With Tech Instagram from a mom. Uh, and she writes, hi, I'm using touch chat for my nonverbal four and six year olds. We currently don't have an SLP since she was telling me that my kids were too young to use high tech AAC. Good for you, mom. Ooh, ooh. Good for you. <laughs> I'm angry. <laughs> Okay, let's keep going. Right now, I feel a little overwhelmed with the app. I've been hiding some of the buttons. I don't, and I really don't like that. I've been reading your posts and you mentioned we need to use the app in daily and regular activities. We need quite a few buttons to do it. My question is, what would the grid size be that you're recommending? Um, so I thought, Chris, that we could just talk through this question. Obviously, I think we need a little more information, but I was thinking we could just go through it. How do we decide what grid size and how many buttons on an AAC? So that's a great question, and I can see why why this mom might be wrestling with that, right? And and it's, it seems to be this mom is doing some research and trying to figure out, when I say research, listening to different media outlets like our podcast, reading blog posts, following along on, I, I bet you she's following a bunch of different Instagram people that, uh, wait, it's, is that how you write? People who are posting content on Instagram about AAC, right? Um, so... How do you determine the grid size? Well, here would be my uh, my go-to answer is you want as many cells as possible. So start with as many cells as possible and then roll back from there. Uh, the, 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 the phrase that we use is make the child prove to you that they can't handle that. And people can't see me, but I'm doing my air quotes here. Um, rather than making the assumption that there's, there's too many buttons and there's too many words, uh, we don't know enough about the kids to say if they have fine motor difficulties, if they'd be doing lots of, and again, I'll put this in quotes, mishits, because that's hard to determine sometimes if it's an actual mishit. But the smallest cell size gives you the largest number of words on the home screen, which means less navigation, less hits to get to more words. So this, the largest number of words on the home screen as you can possibly get, go to. Start with the largest and roll back from there if you need to. How's that sound? I, it sounds great, Chris. I think this is one of the biggest mistakes I see with the way that people set up AAC systems for students, especially younger students, which I would argue four and six actually is not that young. Um, so to hear that this mom's experience was with a SLP who said they're too young for high tech AAC, that feels crazy to me. Um, but the mistake I see is people using really small grid sizes or really large buttons, um, knowing that the larger the button the less buttons we can have. And that just means so much layers of navigation. It's just harder. So we're actually setting up AAC systems for kids because we think what we're doing is going to help them. But in fact, it's actually detrimental because the more we have to go into deep diving of folders to get to vocabulary, the more effort it involves. Um, and so, like you said, Chris, figuring out the largest grid size that you can get away with um, and you don't, obviously you, you, you adapt and tweak this if 
the student shows that they need that, right? So it's like, oh, I used a seven by 11 grid size, right? 77 icons on the screen. And they just really can't target that. They don't have the fine motor to be able to activate those buttons at that size. So that's really what you're looking for is the access, right? That's what determines the the button size, not, oh, they're only two. So we only should have a three by three with really big buttons, right? I mean, a two-year-old maybe isn't a great example because they usually have some fine motor challenges because they're two, but you know, we're really trying to strike that balance. And the other thing is fine motor actually improves when you, you know, pick a grid size that might be a little bit of a reach for a student, like they're not super accurate, but with a key guard or some other types of things, they can become more accurate. And so you can actually see fine motor improve pretty quickly. Um, if you're kind of finding that balance of just, you know, big enough so that they're able to target accurately. But even if they have some, you know, mishits or it feels a little harder for them, over time, they're going to learn and improve, you know, that fine motor to be able to activate the the buttons. I think for everyone who's not this mom, we should also clarify that one of the reasons we're suggesting this is because this mom has already invested in the app of TouchChat. So there are other apps like LampWords for Life or other applications that are not apps on like an iOS device that are based in MinSpeak, um, like on a PRC or Unity. Um, you know, PRC device uh, with Unity. The the idea being that um, those are designed a little bit differently. So you'd still there like Lampards for Life is eighty four cells. That's it. There is no other. There is no other thing. So I can easily see someone listening to our. You know, I, I can picture somebody listening to our podcast going, "Oh, so I should have gone with a higher grid size and not with Lampards for Life." No, there's different reasons. But this particular mom, mom, you're listening to our podcast. You already are, you're into touch chat and touch chat is a perfectly fine choice. So, um, so we're, we're, we're eliminating some other things there that would be consideration because you've already decided what the app is going to be. Is that fair? I think it sounds great, Chris. The next layer to this question is how do I know what words to reveal and what words to hide? So once we figure out the, the grid size, right? And we're like, okay, like we feel like this is a solid grid size, gives us lots of buttons on the home screen. So that means less navigation. Then the question becomes, how many words do you have revealed and how many words do you hide? So to start, uh, a, qu a question we ask ourselves, uh, a question parents can ask themselves whenever they're faced with any decision ever with kids, um, really in life, but in this case with learning languages, which option, my, the options that I'm considering, which option is going to restrict the student, restrict my child in the least way possible? Uh, so what, in this case, the question you're asking is what's, how many buttons do I mask? Well, which one is going to be least restrictive to the student? And again, with that mentality of make them prove to you that they can't do it. So you can see where I'm, where I'm, where I'm leading us to, which is don't mask any of the buttons, just leave it unmasked with the, again, with the option, 
okay, well, I can st always go back and mask. But uh, you've heard me say this before, Rachel, which which foot am I going to start the dance with, my right foot or my left foot? You can only choose uh, choose one foot to, to, to lead with when you're dancing. Same thing here. When, when I'm starting, let me start with it unmasked so that the student can play, the child can play with the words and experiment with the words and ex hear the words, and I can always roll back and mask. Um, so I have some more to say, but I, I don't want to hog the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think it's easy to start with just all of the words and then tweak as you go. Um, you know, it's it's really helpful to think about how many words to reveal for the student's sake, right? And so many of my kids actually do fine with the full system, like all the words. They just are really good at being able to navigate and it doesn't, you know, overwhelm them at all. But then the adults, I feel like, are sometimes the biggest roadblock, right? It's the adults around the student who are like, oh, my gosh, there's so many words. I just can't find anything. So, you know, we really have to strike a balance with both of these kind of considerations. And I think that the first step, though, is understanding what can the student do? Because I can know, like, okay, the student actually can do the full system, but maybe I need to use a masking approach for the adults around the student so that they're able to model language um, just because we know that we need both parties to actually have success with AAC. We can't just have a student, you know, without the modeling because without the modeling, the student won't learn how to use language in meaningful ways. So it really is a balance between both of them. But if you never know what the student can do with the full system, then you just don't have that information moving forward. And the best time to find that information is in the beginning stages of AAC when you start and introduce the device. Uh, I would add that... It seems like some people, I could see especially parents, might think, well, it's, I have to make a decision and it's one way or the other. But it could be, uh, it certainly can be, and therapists do this quite a bit in therapy sessions, it's not an all or nothing. Meaning, uh, imagine, mom, that you're sitting on the couch and you're going to do shared reading time and you got your four-year-old on the right-hand side and your six-year-old on the on your left-hand side. You got the the book there sitting on your lap and you have, they each have their AAC device. Maybe you have one too, or maybe you just have theirs. And you, you've left it unmasked, right? And you've turned the first page and, you know, the story is, I don't know, um, I don't know what's a, what's a good children's story that we can be thinking about reading a book together. How about something everybody knows, right? Like uh, Three Little Pigs or something like that, right? So maybe the word, uh, you just want to model uh, three, right? Maybe that's your word. It's a nice core vocabulary word. It's concept. We can count the pigs. One, two, three, right? Like it'd be a fun way. And each time we turn the page, we, we model three and we hit, we, we do one, two, three. Of course, turn is another good word that might be good. And each each kid could take turns saying the word turn as you turn the page. It wouldn't even have to be about the story that they're, they're using language. My point being is you've got the, each kid has their full, all the words uh, open to them. And if what's, what we're, what you're seeing is they're all over the place and they're not really um, targeting well, uh, uh, they're, there you you're seeing them uh be what's the right way to say this not really uh, participating in the in the experience together one you could change the experience but maybe more importantly the option is you can mask and just for temporarily 
let turn and three be the only words on there, knowing that after this, you can open it back up and and go back to having the full system, letting them experiment. Again, you modeling, right? How does that sound as a, as a strategy? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a strategy that a lot of um, SLPs and teachers and parents can use to see, you know, more targeted practice with specific words in a more structured way. And then, you know, it helps to learn the motor plan sometimes, and then you can reveal the full system again, or, you know, more of the vocabulary and then have the student practice, you know, again, in a structured way with specific word targets, um, with the full system. So it kind of helps with the generalizing piece and gets rid of some of the, the clutter, um, of the words sometimes if that is proving to be challenging for a student. Um, so yeah, I definitely use that in my therapy. I also think that there's a value at times to, Helping students learn, you know, navigation and things like that, which can be really, you know, challenging for some kids when they have the full system navigating in and out of folders. And so I'll play around with masking vocabulary to help with specific discrete skills like that. Like, okay, they can, you know, they have the ability to ask for pretzels. This is actually from an exact example from a coaching session I did yesterday. Uh, They can say pretzels, but they're not able to you know, hit the food folder and then say pretzels, which is really not the full motor plan, right? So this SLP was navigating for the student to get into the food folder, which, you know, uh, we can start there, but I, I feel like we're, we're, we're really missing the, the opportunity to teach a two-step motor plan. If it's food pretzels, then like we really should start there. Um, so, you know, I, I say that with like the caveat that there's no kind of blanket recommendations here. Like sometimes we need to do that to have more success and buy-in. So these are all clinical decisions that we need to make. But generally speaking, you know, it's not, it's not actually a word until the student can navigate to it independently. And so like, that's really what we need to be teaching. So for this specific SLP I was coaching, I said, listen, just like mask the rest of the folders and all the vocabulary. So it's just food. And then we're in the, we're in the food folder when we can say pretzels to practice him learning that two-step motor plan. Um, so that's another example of how you can mass vocabulary temporarily to teach a discrete skill. Yeah, and then, exactly, temporarily, because then afterwards you you unmask and let them have that the whole system again, right? And then I guess maybe the, the, the last third piece of advice we would give here, and maybe the most important piece of advice, is to enjoy the experience, have fun together, whatever the thing is that you're doing. So you're modeling language and you're making sure that it's a fun experience. It's not taking your medicine, right? Like there's uh, parents sometimes have this view of of teaching being like sitting in desks in rows, and I have to teach my kid this thing, and you will learn this thing. It's more think about that early learning where kids are playing and exploring. Well, it never has to end. Uh, that's where the best learning happens is not in some sort of weird memorization, cram it down your throat sort of way. And it's all about um, the the best learning happens in this sort of uh, fun experience where things just kind of come up and, oh no, you put your foot up on the coffee table and it knocked over the milk. And we say, uh, uh, went down, went down, uh, clean up, clean up, you know, um, and you're laughing about it and you're, you're enjoying that sort of spontaneous experience. Um, that's where, 
that's where the real magic and learning happens much more, much more deeper than we sat down for 30 minutes and read this book and we focused on the number three and we focused where I got to model three 96 times. So therefore they have learned three, like it doesn't work. It's, it's good to have that as a structure, but it's also much more important to have fun around that structure. Yes, exactly. The other thing I'll add to that, which I think is also really important is Focusing, especially in the initial stages of AAC, less on accuracy and more on attributing meaning to what kids decide to communicate to us. Like, can we just take a student initiating any word on their AAC as a win? And I think that that's where we kind of really need to just constantly circle back to the student actually said something and we can respond to it, whatever that, that something is, um, instead of this like, I have an idea about what I want you to say and this is what you should say in this situation and this is what makes sense and if you don't say this, then you're not accurate and this is not working. You know, I think we just have to reframe it because kids learn through exploration, they learn through modeling and we they learn through attributing meaning to the things that they're saying and that's what we, you know, can do as adults to help teach what those words actually mean. So, Rachel, what do you think? Do, do we think we helped this mom out with the questions? We did, I think. I'm really excited to send her a message saying, hey, we actually just answered this on the podcast. Yes, yes. Thank you for writing. And um, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And in fact, about Patreon, Rachel. Chris, I'm super excited. We have so many new Patreon members. For you guys who are maybe new listeners and don't know about our Patreon, our Patreon is a way to support this podcast. If you listen to the podcast and you love it, you can get even more great bonus content and behind the scenes interviews and lots of resources that we share. Um, you go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech and you can see years at this point, Chris, of content um, on there. Um, so let's shout out our new Patreon members. We have Colleen, we have Remy, we have Shasta, we have Karen, um, we have Tony. I'm super excited. That's a lot of Patreon members, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and some of the content that I know that we've just recently put out is some, like we had just recorded a video for our Patreon supporters. And uh, I know there's some videos in there of AAC users talking at um, different events. And there's a video in there about, um, I had mentioned on a previous podcast uh, banter about um, the science behind, uh, the lack of science, I guess. I should say, behind learning styles. There's some stuff on our show notes for that episode, but there's some bonus content in our Patreon. So it's still a, I, what we think is really valuable content going into the Patreon feed if you're interested. So thank you, Patreon supporters, for being there. So Rachel, tell us about the interview today. But wait, it's not an interview, is it? Yes, Chris, we did a Talking With Tech Live. Yes, with our friends from Colorado. So have a listen to our Talking With Tech Live I it's not really a presentation. It's an experience. You got to come to a Talking With Tech live experience. Uh, you'll hear all about people interacting, answering questions as a, as a group think. So thanks, Colorado, for participating. And now everyone gets to listen to it. So excited that you chose to spend your time with us today. Uh, this is the SWAC monthly webinar, and we're all into in for a terrific treat because we have just some phenomenal uh, experts in the field of augmentative alternative communication 
Uh, and, you know, Rachel, I don't think um, we've particularly sat in together on anything, but I know you are, I can just tell already, just like Chris, and that you bring so much energy and excitement, enthusiasm to the content. So uh, we're all in for a great treat. Um, and with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys take over. Awesome. Thank you, Christina. And you are correct. I'm super passionate about the topic at hand, AAC. So it just kind of exudes from me. I'm going to share my screen. Um, hold on. Am I already sharing? How, how does this work? Let's see. There we go. Um, okay. So here are our slides. The, doing that thing, Chris, is, am I seeing black boxes or we're okay? No, you look good. Okay, good. good. We've been having some weird things with webinars on my computer these days. Um, okay, so here are the slides, the QR codes here. Um, we're just going to be doing a little bit of kind of overview things today. But then really, this whole session is about you guys and answering your questions, collectively sharing information. Um, you know, we're working with some of the most complex individuals and the more brains on, you know, our, our, our challenges, the better. Um, so that's kind of what this, this presentation is going to be all about. And I just briefly introduce introduce ourselves. Um, so I'm Rachel Madel. I am a speech language pathologist and I specialize in AAC. I own a private practice in Los Angeles where I do a lot of actually parent coaching and um, training on the topic of AAC. I do a lot of presenting on this topic and um, here are all the ways that you can connect with me. I'm pretty active on social media. Um, so feel free to follow along if you're interested in that. Whoa. Um, here are all my disclosures, none of which are really relevant to today's talk, um, but there's a link at the bottom of the slides if you're interested in figuring out where all my money comes from. Um, but again, none of which is really relevant to today. Uh, we're going to dive into kind of, again, a brief overview and then going through you guys, uh, the questions that you guys have. Um, so I'm really excited to, to dive in. My name's Chris Bouguet, and my day job is the Assistive Technology Specialist for Loudoun County Public Schools out here in Virginia. Um, and the way that works in Virginia is we have our school districts are based on an entire county. So I am the Assistive Technology Specialist for close to 100 schools, I don't know, 9,900 schools. Um, it's a growing area. Um, but my background is a speech-language pathologist, and then like three years into my career as a speech-language pathologist, the county came to me and said, do you want to be one of the founding members of our assistive technology team? And I was like, yes, yes, I want to do that. And so I've never looked back. I think of myself as someone who um, works in assistive technology with a speech-language pathology background as opposed to a speech-language pathologist that works in assistive technology, if that makes sense. And really, what I, what I really think of myself as is somebody who does inclusive design or an inclusive design facilitator. Uh, I like to think that my day job is to really work with um, educators, all different educators, to help them design educational experiences that are inclusive of everybody. Um, 
throughout this career, I've been able to, uh, had the great fortune to write a couple books. So my first or my most recent book, uh, my most recent solo book is called The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. And my most recent collaborative effort is called Inclusive Learning 365, EdTech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. That's written with uh, three other authors. And it's just like it sounds. It's um, It's 365 strategies, one strategy per page about how to design these inclusive experiences. Uh, we put the strategy first and the technology second, and technology used to support our design. Um, and then I feel like there's something else, Rachel. I do, I don't know, like every week, every Wednesday, I do something. What is that thing? Help remind me. Oh yeah, a podcast. <laughs> we do a podcast together. So put in the chat, have you guys ever heard of Talking With Tech? Are you Talking With Tech listeners? Or put in the chat if you haven't heard of it yet. Or put it in the chat. If you've been on Talking With Tech, do you see who's in the room? Someone who's been on Talking Ooh. With Tech? <laughs> Uh-oh. I can't see. I don't see anybody on here, but I, I'm sure I can spot them out. <laughs> awesome. Wow, there's a okay. bunch of listeners here. Excellent. There is. It's really exciting. So this is a completely free resource that Chris and I started doing five years ago. We're, this is our anniversary month, Chris. We've been doing the podcast for five years now, which just is crazy how time flies. Um, but we, you know, both have a passion for AAC and we talk about it every week. Um, we have lots of, um, basically the way the podcast is set up is we have a kind of discussion, him and I, in this banter in the beginning of our episodes where we're sharing our experiences, asking each other questions, uh, venting sometimes about the challenges that we're facing in our own, you know, sphere. And then we lead into an interview where we have interviewed a clinician or a parent or, um, you know, lots of, of kind of people who are adjacent to uh, AAC and working in the field. We also, my favorite episodes are AAC users. So we have lots and lots of episodes where we interview AAC users about their experience. Um, and those are definitely my favorite ones to share and also to listen to. Katie and Hildy, since you haven't listened yet, this is for you. We just explained that um, some of the feedback we get from the podcast is that we is that because the, the two were the were two hosts, and I work in public education, and Rachel works as a private practice clinician, but we have these aligned views that it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm hearing sort of the same message from two different. Um, two different perspectives. Uh, and in fact, sometimes that's what we hear is that there's a fights between private and public. And so we're sort of, we're, we're, we're hoping that we are an example of how you can work together. I know it does feel like there's kind of like this battle sometimes, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, but I think that Chris, it's really nice to kind of share both of our experiences because you work mostly with professionals and a little bit with families. And I work mostly with families and a little bit with professionals. And so it really is just a, a nice kind of balance where we're able to share our experiences in a way that I think helps kind of create this big picture. Uh-oh. I don't know why this is happening. 
All right, everybody, here it is. So we've been talking about the podcast and what we're actually doing right now, right? We're recording. And we're, what we're recording is we're going to take the audio of this hour and we're going to put it on the podcast. This is going to be a podcast episode. Um, we have done this one, two, three, four, five, six other times. This is our seventh time doing a Talking With Tech Live, um, which most of those are out on the podcast where you can just go listen to them for examples. We have done a few. We do have a Patreon. So... Um, uh, sometimes we record things just for our Patreon subscribers. So there's a, some that are like behind the scenes, just for the the exclusive people that um, that are supporting the the podcast financially. Uh, that said, know that we want this to be a rich conversation. This is meant to be not the Chris and Rachel show. You can listen to us every week on the podcast. It's meant to be uh, an active discussion where we're sharing things together, putting your, your ideas out there and sharing when you have a problem, let's, let's crowdsource it and come up with, well, okay, here's something that worked for me, or here's something that uh, I'm thinking about might, that might work. It's meant to be an open discussion. We'll record it and we'll share it to the world. So this is how we're gonna kind of source the questions. This bit.ly link or QR code is gonna be how you can submit a question. So definitely get your phone or iPad out, get the QR code going, or you can, uh, we'll pop it in the chat so you guys have it. Um, think about some things that are coming up for you in your practice and some challenges that you have um, where we can, again, crowdsource information from each other. Yeah, it's a pretty simple Google form. It's really just like, what's your question? And it's going to populate over to a spreadsheet, which we're actually going to show you next. Mm -hmm. So this link that says responses, if you got the slide deck, is actually a is the where the questions and, well, I guess where the questions will go. Everything over mm -hmm. on the left-hand column, the first three uh, columns are locked. You don't have access to change those first columns. So if you submit a question there, it'll show up there with my question is, and then everything to the right uh, of those three columns. So D, E, F, everything over there. Well, this is free form. You can, you all have editing access to this Google sheet. So you could type in a tool. Um, you could type in some sort of strategy. If you have some sort of hyperlink that is a good resource that you'd like to share, you can put it right in there next to whatever the question is. Um, it's gonna be a pretty quiet hour if we don't have any questions in here though, because Rachel and I don't have anything planned to talk about. It's all meant to be, well, okay, what are some things that are that's on my mind, stuff I've been thinking about, uh, a particular student that I've been working with or a family. Um, the, the challenges of just before we got on record and started recording, we were talking about the the challenges of the, the turnover of, of the number of teachers and educators that are sort of leaving the profession right now. How are we going about that? So there's lots of different things we can chat about. Just think about whatever's in your sphere right now, whatever's sort of plaguing you, whatever the, the monkey on your shoulder, that's what we want to hear about. We want to, we want to chat about. All right. So as we kind of populate this, uh, we're going to just go over a few different slides um, as you guys get your, your questions ready and we're going to roll in. Um, but first, we're just going to go over some basic things that Chris, you and I go over every single presentation we give, for the most part, most of these things. You know, Rachel, I was looking at these slides just beforehand, and I thought we could really speed through them. This is yeah. um, just to get to, because we've already got two questions in the in the Google form already, so I'm excited awesome. to get, to get ch chatting. But 
One thing that we wanted to talk about real quick here was just mention what is the definition of evidence-based practice? Uh, a thing that we see in the world, it's a thing we bet you see in the world, is that people define evidence-based practice differently. If we just took a minute and asked you all to type in what does evidence-based practice mean to you, we'd probably get a bunch of different definitions. And if we went and talked to other professionals who weren't working in the world of speech-language pathology or in education, they might get... Um, might get a different response. And so the way we define it is using the what the American Speech and Hearing Association uses to define evidence-based practice, which is a combination of three things. The first one is, what's the research telling us? Well, we know that. Second one is, um, what are the professionals saying works for them? Oftentimes, this is where it stops. So here's the third one. The third one is, what are the AAC users themselves, the people who can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it, what are they saying has worked for them? Um, and just real quick, put it in the chat, if you don't mind, put this number in the chat. How many people do you know who can use AAC to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it? They tell us, put it in the chat. Like, how many, can, do you know them? How? What's your number? I know. Okay, see this, look at the numbers that are coming up. Not surprising that there are single digit numbers, people listening to the podcast right now as the chat fills up. And many of those numbers are zeros. Uh, some are ones, some are threes. But the highest number we see in the chat right now is three, right? And so this is one of the reasons why Rachel and I do the podcast is that we have a whole, a whole bunch of AAC users that... Um, come on and share their perspectives so we can learn from them about what works and what doesn't work. Uh, not just strategies that work, but what to stay away from. If you, whatever you hear, uh, whatever you learn in a Facebook group, on TikTok, on Instagram, on whenever you're reading a book, ask yourself these three questions. What's the research telling us? What are professionals out there saying? And then the third one, I'm going to say maybe the most important one is, what are the AAC users themselves saying works? If it's some, if something doesn't check off all three of those those boxes, then it's it's sus, you know? And do you know what I mean by sus? Anyone? Jen was here. I know Jen knows what sus was. I don't know if she's still here. But anyone know what I mean by sus? If it doesn't check off all the suspicious, Carrie, exactly, right? It's, hmm, I'm not sure if I should put my minutes into learning about this strategy if it doesn't check off all three of these boxes. All right. I'm trying to see how many questions we have, Chris. And if we want to uh, just. We've got like six. Seven. We've got seven questions. So I, I think we would dive into the, unless there's something else in the slides, I'm thinking we dive into the questions. I mean, I think we might like cover some of this stuff in the questions. <laughs> I think Agreed. I saw one question that feels like we'll see. Okay. Right. Here so. we go. <laughs> Let's roll. Um, okay. So the first one, we're going to go in order. How do I keep up with all the new AAC programs and features coming out? Does feel like a lot, right? does feel like it's always changing because it actually is always changing. I feel like that's um, one of the challenges with technology in general, right? Is that it's always evolving. And, you know, myself personally, I, I know that I don't know every feature of every system, especially because it's always changing. But what I do know is how I can help teach language using AAC. Um, that's the thing that I think is important to remember with this notion that I don't know all the things. Well, like, 
we all know how to teach language, right? And we can use whatever tool and technology we're using to teach the language. Um, does anyone else have any other ideas on like how to keep up with the latest things that are happening? Like what ways do you guys actually keep up to date with all the different changes happening in the, the world of technology with AAC? You should feel free since this is an audio podcast to unmute, right? Do you have the ability to unmute? Yes, please jump in and, and share. If jump you want. in, let's talk. Turn on your camera if you want. This is a this is a conversation. I'll share. Um, I know for me, it's really helpful signing up to newsletters for a lot of these companies, and they are they're always setting up kind of like the newest, latest, and greatest any changes and things to kind of keep in mind with using the programs with students. Excellent. So you took like company newsletters. Do you sign up for their for their mailing list? Yeah, for their mailing list and anything else involved with the AC, there's a lot of other um, subscription letters. So anything I can subscribe up to, I do <laughs> to kind of get in the know. And a lot of times they'll send some suggestions of, have you heard this new app or this new system? And it kind of lets me know that there's something new out there to kind of try and look into. Mm -hmm. Cool. Love it. I see, see someone put in the chat AAC for the SLP on Facebook. Yes, that seems to be one of the most popular Facebook groups. That's certainly the one that I go to as well, where people pose questions and people comment on answers. What's AAC learning journey? Someone put that in the chat. What is that? Yeah, I haven't heard of that. All right. It's um it's something that's new through is it PRC and Saltillo, I believe, that they have like like learning classroom platform where you can either take free online courses. Sometimes I share them with parents as resources if they are if their schedules can't go with school schedules, you know, to come in for training. Um and also to like our support staff members if they want to learn more. And then there's options for paid trainings too, I believe. Yes, I had heard of that. I just forgot the name because it's very, it's a generic name. Like AEC Learning Journey, it could be anybody, but yes, that does sound familiar. All right, cool. Awesome. Other thoughts? How do we stay on the cutting edge of the tech? <laughs> I feel like we all have like that person who always knows, right? Like, oh, like Sherry always knows like the cutting edge, like technology stuff. Uh, and, and I think that social media is really helpful for that. Like, I think that the latest kind of additions or changes are happening in, are, are being posted on social media, following the kind of device companies and things like that, I think is a good idea and suggestion. I have an analogy for this too. And what I'd like to suggest is that people should forgive themselves if they don't know all the features. There's a sort of a trend over the last number of, well, let's say 10 to 15 years where people feel guilty for not knowing, oh, I didn't know that was a feature. Oh, I didn't know that thing. I didn't know the newest accessibility feature that just came out on iPads, right? And iOS, iOS 16 or whatever, whatever. Oh, I didn't know the app updated to include this. Um, it's, it's nigh impossible in the world of assistive technology to know everything. Um, the analogy that I like to use, you know, I like my analogies, Rachel. It's like- trying to know um, every new thing that's out in your Amazon Prime. You know, you go to Amazon, oh, what's the latest thing? Well, there's a billion things out there in that that you could go shopping for, right? What you do, though, is that you look, think about, like, if I was going to go shopping for Rachel's birthday, I'd be like, okay, 
Rachel. What do I know about Rachel? Well, Rachel's big into AAC. She owns her own private practice. She um, likes to surf. I'm not. I'm not giving anything away, right? That's a. It's fair that I say that out on the podcast. So you're a surfer. Oh, you like to surf. Like to surf. I'm a surfer. Right? Sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would make a sort of a list of things that I know about Rachel, and then I'd go over to Amazon Prime and I'd be like, all right, what are some things that are that sort of I can hone in on? Like, okay, uh, businesswoman, private practice. Uh, she likes surfing. She does a podcast. She's big into AAC. It can narrow down my search so I could find something for her that would be like, oh, okay, this would be the perfect thing for Rachel. She, I'm going to get her a, um, a subscription to this. Uh, to water earphones that she can wear while she's surfing, right? Because I've narrowed down based on what I thought I know about Rachel. And that's the same idea with students and choosing things, choosing the technology is you can narrow down, especially during the selection process by asking a series of questions to say, okay, what what is the thing that the student needs? Then you go shopping. Then you go find the features and programs. And oh, I didn't realize that this this tool now has this feature. Uh, that's when you can uh, go go and discover what you need. Sound fair? I agree. I agree too. Actually, I just ran into a situation this week where a child's primary language was Arabic, and so I had to go searching for what AAC systems. Um, Worked with Arabic, so. Harry, yeah. wait, you didn't know what system? You didn't know every system that might have Arabic? What's no, wrong with I, you? And I've been doing AAC for 20 years, so, you know, and it's constantly changing, right? So I'm happy to, that I found some systems that have Arabic because I was a little worried that I would find none. Um, but yeah, so. Well, now you got to tell us, Carrie, what'd you find? Well, I found that... Um, well, Touch Chat and Lamp both have um, Arabic voices, but Lamp doesn't have an Arabic vocabulary, so you would have to design it from scratch. And then um, Touch Chat has some uh, vocabulary files, but their largest vocabulary it only has 15 buttons, so that wasn't going to work for this child. And then um, Grid has some um, Arabic vocabulary files. Again, they're a little more restricted, um, so not as many buttons, but TD Snap was the winner with as far as the um, robust vocabulary um, with Arabic. So it's interesting, though, because, of course, Arabic is from right to left and so left to right. So, like, you take TD Snap and you put it <laughs> in how it looks. So I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to be able to implement this with the child since I don't speak Arabic, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> That's like what we do, right? We just like keep rolling with the punches and figure out what we don't know. And I'm pretty it. sure Ava's, Ava's has some Arabic vocabulary too, but I'm not, I didn't get a chance to look at their files. So yeah. Carrie, I know I would also explore cough drop. I don't know for oh, yeah. sure, but that would be well, another cough one. Drop, fun fact about cough drop, it integrates with Google Translate. So any language that Google Translate has, cough drop has the ability to do. Now you would ideally have a native speaker look at the translations because sometimes it can be incorrect. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the nicest things about cough drop is that like any language that Google Translate has, cough drop has. Oh, awesome. Okay. I will look at cough drop as well. Yeah. 
what's most important there is Carrie's thought process, really, right? I mean, Carrie, you went through like, okay, here's a list and I'm going to go check out what has what, what has what, what has what. And that's that's really the answer to this question, I think, is you can't keep up on know all of it, but you know what to search for and what to hunt for, right? Awesome. Love it. Should we keep on keeping on, Chris? Yeah, I guess I'll read this one. All right. All right, we'll go, we want to go every other? Sure. All right, here's this one. How do you decide when a student is or is not ready for high-tech AAC? What does everybody I, think? I know. I want to answer, but I'll <laughs> open it up to the audience. <laughs> I can literally see your tongue bleeding through the screen, right? <laughs> Biting it so hard. What, what, what does everyone think? Sure, Carrie, go for it. Okay, no prerequisites um, <laughs> comes to mind. So, um, yeah, I would. There's, I would consider um, high tech AAC for pretty much any anybody that their communication needs are not being met through speech and and consider it. So, yeah, I think Thank Jill you. and Trudy agree with you. They're saying no prerequisites to learning high-tech AAC and always start with robust. Other thoughts? All right, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say that like this idea of not being ready um, is just kind of a mindset shift. Um, if we shift into presuming that all children have the capacity to learn high-tech AAC. And I think especially if we shift our emphasis away from this expectation that we have a high level of accuracy when we introduce AAC and that we need to have a high level of accuracy, um, it gets us out of this mindset of like, they're not ready yet, right? Um, I do a lot of work with lots of different you know, ages of students, including early intervention, for, so birth to three. And, you know, if I put a high-tech speech generating device in front of a two-year-old, um, no, they might not show me immediately that they can use it with accuracy, but over time, as a teaching communication partners, how to model language and with development and enough motivating opportunities for kids to, you know, communicate with us, eventually they learn, right? So this shift of mindset um, from, you know, they have to be ready and how do we know when they transition and all these things to just assuming that with the right supports and the right time and the right tool that we can teach them how to use it and that they can learn how to use robust AAC. All right. This next question is kind of similar, Chris. What should our response be if our district AT SLP has many prerequisite skills that are required before a student moves to a more high tech device? This is what's happening. This is the reality though, right? Is like, I am in LA and LUSD is one of the biggest school districts in the country. And they are working under this kind of candidacy model. Like some people and some kids are good candidates for high-tech AAC and others aren't. Um, so what do we do in situations where we're working with someone who has all this power, right? Like this ATSLP um, has the power to say, yes, you get it, but no, you don't. Um, what do we do when we really know that all of our students deserve to have access to robust language systems. What do we all think? What are some ideas here? Surely many of us have probably been in the situation where we're like, you are not correct <laughs> with this notion of high-tech AAC prerequisites. Yeah, we know you know this person, not like literally, just 
you know people like this. Can I share a recent situation? Please, Jackie. (laughs) I literally just got the email like yesterday and we're working through it this week is that a student's already on a robust system lamp. And then I got an email about a a meeting that happened that I wasn't part of about um, they want the, it was suggested by another district team member to go back down to PEX to uh, teach the initiation of communication. Um, I know. So (laughs) We, and I trained all the team last year monthly about, you know, vocabulary builder, how to shape behavior, things, a lot of what you teach on your podcast. I even like referenced your podcast. Um, so just kind of stepping back and working our way back forward, trying to get us back to how can we use these features on these devices to get what the function that they're going for, not going back to low tech. Oh, my goodness, Jackie. <laughs> yeah, no one, one can see time. One day at a time. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more, though, because it does sound like similar to this question here is um, why were they feeling that way? Like you said, you've you've been training them. You've been participating in, in ex- professional learning experiences. Would you say monthly? Like, yeah, near the end of the school year, we finally got it started and then they were like liking it. And then I was there monthly. So the reason is you've referenced it is the turnover. It's a new SLP and the previous SLP is still at the school, but it's not on the caseload for this student. So it's kind of like um just having to redo a little bit. So I'm meeting with the SLP tomorrow to kind of catch up and see what we can do to help the student with maybe hopefully the robust system or figure out where the miscommunication was. I also have a question, Jackie. So I heard you say the students, they want to go back to picture exchange or PECs because they want to work on initiation. So does that mean that the student's not touching the device at all? I think you know they'll say it's not purposeful. And I did a bit of training about how to shape behavior towards what we want. And, you know, if he, if we're stimming, um, I remember Rachel, you did a, an episode with somebody about stimming on a device and how to shape that, or what's the purpose behind that. So we did a lot of training on that. Um, but again, it wasn't with this particular SLP. So I have to kind of get my feet back in that school and do it a little bit over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not really the initiation, right? It's accuracy. Like, and I think that that's like an important distinction to make when everyone's like, we need to go back and teach initiation. Like, well, no, they're initiating, right? Like anytime they touch a and say a word, they are communicating. How can we attribute meaning to that word? And that's how we shape their responses, right? Um, that's how we make it meaningful. Um, and so I think I just wanted to add that because it feels like something that's important. Um, also, since we were talking about prerequisites, I feel like that this idea of using PECs as a way to teach initiation. And that's the only way we can do that. Um, I think is false. Um, I think we can teach kids how to initiate by actually putting high-tech AAC in front of them and then teaching them how their words have power when they touch a button and it says a word like that is initiation. Um, and most of our kids are doing that, right? Um, this idea of having to exchange a picture back and forth, like to teach initiation, I feel like doesn't really make sense when we know long-term we're trying to transition kids to more robust systems. You know, for Carrie, go ahead. Oh, I just think, uh, you know, I'm wondering if why this uh, person would like have all these prerequisite skills. And I know like I've been in this field for a while. So the reasoning we had prerequisite skills way back in the day is because these devices are super expensive, right? And we had to justify why we would be getting um, these expensive devices, but they're more, they're uh, totally 
um, more available these days. And I'm not sure what district this person is in, but even if they don't have funds within their district, we have our SWAC loan bank, we have reps that have loaners. Um, so I'm wondering if it, you know, it's just a matter of like asking this person like, Hey, I know you're not, you say that they don't have these skills yet, but could we just try? Could we just try a high tech device and just see, and if it doesn't work out, you know, we'll, we can go back, but you know, what's, what's the hurt in trying, you know, and seeing if you can get in the door that way. I love what you're saying there, Carrie. It's um, really, you're asking the person questions. And one of those questions is what's the harm? What do you think will happen if we try it? Uh, what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, what's informing your decision? You know, all sorts of these reflective questions or in Jackie's case, um, uh, why do you think the way you think, you know, the, those are sorts of the open-ended questions that can start the dialogue rolling. I also find that it's like we, when you actually ask specific questions about what the student's actually doing, we find that sometimes the student is accurate. <laughs> and I feel like we just throw it away because we're like, well, it's not all the time. Well, it's like, you know, we can't expect perfection from our students. Um, and so I think asking specifically Jackie, like, okay, can you tell me some situations where the student is, you know, using language purposely on the AAC? And then all of a sudden we start revealing, well, they can do it with this and this and this. And it's like, okay, so we can't say that they're not being purposeful. Sometimes, sure, they're not, but sometimes they are. So it's like, that's progress, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. And how do you know the button they hit was in exactly what they wanted to say in the first place, right? I mean, exactly. uh, we so, we, uh, it turns out a lot of educators, I don't know if you know this, can read minds. So they, maybe they're reading the mind and they know. Um, but what would, again, the question to ask is, what would you think would happen if when they hit this button, we reacted like, oh, what you hit the button bathroom, we take you to the bathroom, you hit the button donut, we, 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 oh, we don't have any donuts here. Uh, what if we just did that? What do you think would happen? It's hard to like answer those questions. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess they would learn that when they say bathroom, they go to the bathroom. And when they say donut, like donuts are either there or not there. <laughs> right. Those questions can be powerful. All right. Should All right, we keep guess, on? Yeah, I'll go to the next one. What is the best way to help educators who don't have any kind of functional communication system with their functional skills classroom? So what it sounds like here is we got nothing in the room. There's no um, AAC, no robust AAC in the room. Is that fair? Put it in the chat or come on if that's the if that's what you're getting at there. I think it is, right? Do we all agree that's what the question is asking? I'm guessing. Educators who don't have any kind of functional communication system within their functional skills classroom. So um, what do we think? Thanks, Trudy, for the thumbs up. <laughs> We're starting. Go ahead, Jill. Jill. What'd you say, Jill? They, they need to get some functional communication systems. <laughs> they need to they need to get some and start modeling them and using them. But hopefully there's access to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. 
figuring out the barriers to why they don't have a functional communication system. I mean, is it a barrier with the knowledge of the staff in the classroom? Is it a financial barrier? What is it? And if it's a financial barrier, that's so, that's a, like Carrie, you just described how that's an, the mindset's going to be a lot harder to, to get over where if they understand the mindset and they just don't have the finances, well, now we can go out and look for finances. That's a whole different question, right? That's, uh, can we look at PTAs? Can we look at grants? Can we look at donors choose? Can we just ask our superintendent or whoever holds the purse strings um, for something? And of course we have low tech versions of high tech systems. So we could do uh, the home screen of any of these tools uh, to get started. My thinking is start with one activity, help them build communication into one activity, be consistent with that one activity, let them see the success and then expand to another time of day or another environment or another activity and go from there. Love it, Trudy. Yes. I feel like let's start small because that could feel really overwhelming if we come in with all these ideas and this, you know, all these words and all the things, right? So just starting small, getting really good at one thing and then building that skill over time, I think is perfect advice. What we've seen work in some places is uh, a high-tech system without the voice. So there are certain systems that you can get for free and on Windows, like emulator software, put that up on the interactive whiteboard or just use it. Some, I don't know what your, like in our neck of the woods, we have Windows computers, but they flip over and they can be like a tablet. So you can actually use them like a touch screen and then you use your actual voice to, to mimic that. Sharon has a follow-up question, which I think is relevant to everybody right now. Do you think each functional classroom, let's just say classroom, maybe we don't need the adjective functional in front of it. Do you think each classroom should have at least one device, even if many of the students do not need it and some already have one? What do we all think? Should every classroom should every educator have an AAC tool they could use to model on? Yes. You guys can probably guess what we think. <laughs> Jackie's yes. Robin in the chat's like, yes. Yeah. To ask it another way, why not? Right. We certainly seen, um, I was just telling this story in Indianapolis, educators, uh, kindergarten, first grade, they bring a student has an AAC tool. They use one of these emulating softwares uh, because the speech therapist shows them. Now they use it as a teaching tool just to learn uh, some sight words and some literacy. And then the AAC user moves on to second grade and they move and they're like, why are you taking that software? Cause now I just, that's how I teach some of these words is I show where it is on this grid, right? Yeah. Why not? Why not build the culture around learning language with AAC? Yes. Jackie says normalize AAC in the classroom. Yeah. It's just a thing that we all have access to and we utilize. 
No one would say, no one would say, oh, we can't have visual supports in our classroom. No, we, okay, yeah, of course, we put visuals up uh, in special ed and in general ed. We have little posters or whatever all over the room that help us learn, right? Um, and no one would say, well, hearing things is bad, right? I mean, we need to hear things sometimes. If you can hear, you can learn information that way. So what if we did visuals in a structured way with audio supports? It's all just integrated together in AAC. And I think also like trying to teach teachers in these classrooms the power of it, because I think oftentimes they don't understand what the purpose is and they think, oh, well, of course, there's a student who's not speaking. We need AAC for them. But thinking about it as a tool for teaching language and a tool for teaching literacy can be kind of a way to get buy in with teachers who are like, why do I need this? Um, and then they'll want to advocate for it. Right. Like they'll see the power of it and then see how you know useful it can be in the classroom. You ready for the next one, Rachel? I'm ready. I think you're up. Oh, <laughs> sorry. How do you define robust communication system? What does this look like for beginning learners of AAC versus experienced? All right, you guys, what are the features that are necessary to call a AAC system robust? And put them in the chat, can put them in our spreadsheet. Come on the mic and just yell out. Whole, just... Yeah, a toll need. First one up in the chat says dynamic display. Makes sense to me. You need to have lots of words, no matter any. Uh, uh, there are some low-tech low systems that can be very robust. So dynamic display would be, might be uh likely but not necessary i would say for instance there are pod books that would have lots and lots and lots of words so i think maybe the question is can you generate thousands of words can you say whatever you want to say however you want to say it with whatever the tool is that could be dynamic display or it could be uh, a low-tech system organized really well yeah i would say a variety of words you can't just have nouns you can't just have core you gotta have all the words. <laughs> All the words. <laughs> Jackie. Jackie says access to alphabet keyboard. Uh, yes, because we can't possibly program every single word that an individual need to say. So we absolutely need to have access to a keyboard and the alphabet and also be providing literacy instruction for AAC users. So we see in the chat too, Christina says snug, and then Robin kind of reiterates capable of novel communication. So yes, this idea that we have all of the things in an AAC system to say exactly what we want to say to whoever we want to say it to, um, and that we can, if we need to, create novel utterances, right? That's part of snug. Um, and thinking about the keyboard is really important in there. Also, one other thing I would say is grammar right? Like morphological changes. Chris is like, yeah, get out of my brain. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm coining this new phrase, core themes. Everyone knows core vocabulary, but um, we want to expand beyond just the root word and start adding ing plural s e d ing is the first grammatical morpheme in typical language development so let's 
a question for a robust system is how do you say ing does your core board have ing on it maybe not if not how are you teaching ing which is, might be why jackie wrote dynamic display because dynamic display will likely have ing on it um, but the the point is well taken rachel grammatical can we how does the system handle grammar it has to have grammar for it to be robust i might also add the ability to add or program in words that are really important to the user we call this key vocabulary or personal core you know if um, my dog's name i don't have to be spelling that out every time i want to be able to just say my dog's name so i want to be able to add that to my system so a robust system would have the ability to add in words that i don't that, that didn't come with it but i want to add to it because it's important to me and sort of adjacent to that i would say either pre-programmed and the ability to program quick fire phrases so i can i can have when all my friends are saying that's totally sus i don't i don't have to type out totally sus each time or find the word totally and then find the word sus i can just hit one button that says that's totally sus I think I'm dating myself there. Does people say sus anymore? I'm like the old, old dad. <laughs> We've moved on from sus, but some of us have it. Slay. Slay is the new. <laughs> Should we keep going? We don't have much time. We never have enough time to answer all the questions. Sure. Am I, am I up? Sorry, I was. You're up. Okay, I'm up. Here we go. Here's the next one. Um, when is it best for a student to use a keyboard to type out what they want to say versus using a picture symbol based system? I have a student that has a device with touch chat, I believe, but he is preoccupied with the keyboard and always navigates there and likes to type random words that he sees. Okay, what do we all think? How do we handle this situation? I'll just say while people are thinking of their responses, this is exciting. We have a student who's typing out things and words, and that's awesome. While, while people are thinking, I'll say I remember meeting some AAC users on a trip once uh, with um, Bruce Baker. And Bruce Baker developed the MinSpeak system, and uh, these this particular AAC user that he was, that we were chatting with was using MinSpeak for only a limited amount and then would flip over the keyboard, just like this question. Like that person had learned the literacy, literacy skills and knew how to type things out. And Bruce was like, you know, if you just practiced on MinSpeak, you could get faster. You'd be a lot faster. And the person was just like, come on, man, just I'm doing it with the keyboard. Like I'm, I, I, yes, I could get a little bit faster, but I know what I'm doing. And I've, I've never feeling torn. Like they're, they're, they're like light years ahead of anyone I met because they're using the keyboard and Bruce is like, you could be faster. I was like, come on. <laughs> so let's give them credit for what they can do. But I also see like, you could be faster, you know, like, uh, why is Braille a thing? Because why don't, why don't we have, uh, why don't blind people use, uh, when they feel with their fingers raised alphanumeric, like, oh, that's, I can feel the A and feel the B, like just raised version. Why do they have Braille? Like that's a whole different system you have to learn because you can be a lot faster reading Braille than you can reading the uh, raised alphanumeric. So if you learn Braille, you can be faster. And this was his point. If you could learn MinSpeak, you could be a lot faster. 
Who has ideas for this question? I'm not sure if I understand the question because it sounds like, I don't know if they're like considering switching to a text-based system, but like when I guess I'm looking at um, um, somebody for an AAC system, a new AAC system, um, I like to know their literacy skills. And if they have literacy skills, I would say, I don't know, second grade or greater literacy skills. Like I might consider text space as a primary AAC system. Uh, but if they don't have um, uh, literacy skills, then I would consider the symbol base as the primary and then with the key, key guard as the secondary as they're learning literacy skills. So like right now I have a kiddo who's doing both because she started on a symbol base and now she's really developed her literacy skills and she chooses when she goes back and forth between the symbol base and the text. So Carrie, just quick follow-up question. How old is that student now? She is just started middle school. Bingo. That's exactly what I've noticed too, right? Middle school and into high school. I don't necessarily want the thing with the pictures on it. I want mm -hmm. to they rec they see everybody else using uh letters right and a mm -hmm. keyboard so i've seen that sort of self-consciousness come on to students like well i'm going to be out there working and i'm going to be working at old navy or whatever i don't want these picture symbols i want just the keyboard and it might be slower like like i said but it seems to be like more socially acceptable in their own mind right yeah and she just you know her little literacy skills are delayed so she's just gotten a, gotten to that point as well. And then uh, there was one other point I was going to make with that. Um, and I think she also got to the point because she was on word power, a word power file um, that, you know, although she was typing a lot on that, she, we had her on a word power 80. So it had the birdie on the, on the first page, but she was, she was typing quite a bit. Um, so the symbol based vocabulary didn't have all the words that she was wanting to communicate. So for I sure. would share too, Carrie, that you, so TouchChat does have the option with word power and it has that kind of keyboard in the middle of the home screen, which can be helpful. Um, in addition to literacy skills, I would also look at language. So oftentimes I have students who can type any noun, but they're really not using any core language and they're not formulating with core language. And the benefit of having a symbol-based system for, you know, a student who's not using a lot of core abstract language is that you have the benefit of modeling that core language. Um, yeah. And some of my students, they have the ability to like type out the fringe, right? And then I'm like adding on to that with, you know, incorporating some of the core. Um, if we go to just a text-based system, then we don't have the ability to model that core language. Um, so I'd say that'd be like another thing that I would consider was the language level and how much abstract language and formulation the student's doing um, to kind of assess that. I might also say that something to consider would be word prediction because word prediction you don't have to type out the entire word you can if you can recognize the word which is a different skill than typing out the whole thing and spelling it out it's i just have to spell it close enough that i can recognize the word um the, the 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 caution that i'll say there is that word prediction i think 
helps you with spelling. It can speed you up in that uh, you don't have to type out each word or so you don't have to type out each letter. Um, but the, the caution would be if you are super fast at using a keyboard, then it likely will slow you down, right? Because your motor plans get so good, um, you don't you can type it out faster than stop, recognize it, and hit that button. Right? I can certainly type my name Chris a lot faster than CH and pull, look at look and find my my name from a list. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. All right, should we go to the next question? Yeah. How can I convince my SLPs and our behavior interventionists that users need access to robust vocabulary and not just requests or a nine to 12 square communication board? What do we think, team? This is tricky. Um, I, I'm definitely not an expert and, and don't know for sure, but I deal with this problem a lot that we, when our, when we have plans that focus on just requesting, um, I have encouraged members on my team to limit themselves to just requesting for a little while and see how they feel about that. Like, what is it when you are limited to only one function of communication and so that, that we need our plans to be able to allow students to do more than request. I know that requesting feels like the most reinforcing function of communication. So I think it makes sense logically that we would start there because it hopefully is, is a way to teach the motivation to communicate for students, but, but that it's just so limited when that's the only thing we're allowing a student to do or that we're only teaching them to do that. Um, we're really really robbing opportunities to learn to comment and protest and just all the other things that we communicate for. Love it. Yes. So Katie says in the chat, give them that size board and see how far they get in conversation. <laughs> so kind of similar to what you said, Jill, as far as like, you know, when we really think about what are we asking our students to do? It's like, are we, we don't, we have the ability to use language for lots of other purposes. And, you know, we have the ability to have access to thousands and thousands of words. Um, so why are we limiting our students? And I think you're right, Jill, in the sense that it oftentimes we start with requesting because it's a low hanging fruit. It's easy to implement, easy to see like a quick win. Um, and then we have students who are just stuck with only requesting. And it's because the people around them aren't showing and modeling other ways to use language in meaningful ways. Um, so kind of to answer this question, like if those nine to 12 square, you know, communication boards don't have any ability to model language for other purposes, then how on earth would we expect our students to ever learn how to use language for other purposes? All right. I think we got time for one more. Sound good? Here we yes. go. What does research say about ELL learners? So I think that's English language learners using AAC. Should we be providing AAC modeling in strongest language, native language, question mark? How do we support staff who are already Learn leery to use and model AAC and now adding in another unfamiliar language. What do we think?
Everyone's like, I don't know about this one. <laughs> Jill, I think you have an idea. Yes. I, th- I do. Sorry. I used to be an ESL teacher before I became an SLP. And I, and so my gut, although I might be wrong, is just, what do we do with other English language learners? And so, um, like, I know I had a student last year, um, whose home language was Spanish. She had down syndrome. So she had some verbalizations, but, but at school, she was gaining in proficiency with English. And so just like what we typically do at school is, focus on on English and then support the second language, but then made sure that we did training with her with her parents and had a system that was easy to switch back and forth between Spanish and English so that parents knew how to use the device at home in Spanish. And then we did a little bit of both at school. Um, but we just did whatever we would have done if she was speaking, we used English when it was typical for us to use English and then supported in Spanish the same way that we did with our other English language learners. I have to say they are a challenging group though, especially our kiddos who are non-speaking who have, who are bilingual. And then, and then um, they also have cognitive um, impairment because the acquisition of that second language is going to take longer, you know? So, um, you know, I think like I try to my best to set up a bilingual AAC system so that we can, the student can have access to their primary language. And I've seen just in practice, like when you give them an AAC, like I just was out to, um, to see a student the other day in Spanish as his primary language. And the therapist had already tried AAC on the English page set and didn't have um, a great response from the student. And I and then I was just like, well, let's try him in Spanish. And once he started pu- punching around on the device and started hearing all his, those familiar words in Spanish, he really engaged um, with the device. So I think it is important to try your best to provide a bilingual um, system to them, <laughs> like the best you can, right? And then like Jill said, all of those um, best practices with supporting language of um, a student who has multiple language. Plus the AAC device in and of itself is a language. That's another thing to consider too. Like they're having to learn the symbol-based language that is AAC, so. Yeah, and I completely agree. It depends on where they are with their second or third or fourth language acquisition, where they are with their English. If, if they are brand new to us and have not been exposed to English yet, I don't know that it would be beneficial to, to start on an English system. Um, but sometimes we're limited if, if we don't know what their first language is. And, but we can, you know, that's the beauty of the picture-based systems is they're somewhat universal. So that's a good, a good, it's, I think in that sense, AAC systems can be really helpful um, for that population. Meaning you could teach what the symbol is in both both languages or multiple languages. That's what you mean, Jill? Hmm? Jill's nodding. <laughs> yes, yes. The other thing I'll add is with the bilingual piece is, you know, kind of reiterating what Jill and you, Carrie, said, like getting really specific when we're talking with families about like what words 
do they know and understand and, you know, use in English and in their second language and understanding that having a good sense um, because I have students that I've assessed that like, okay, they know these handful of words in Spanish, but then they know these handful of words in English um, and then trying to give as many opportunities where we're showing in both languages. Um, I think is helpful, but you know, easier said than done. I realize it's hard enough to get our communication partners modeling language, let alone toggling between languages and systems and things like that. Um, but we do the best we can, right? <laughs> well, I have bad news, everybody. It is the hour is up, and we still have one, two, three, four, five questions left for us to go over and talk about and share together. So here's the thing again, you have access to this this spreadsheet. You should feel free to write responses into any, just pick a column and type in a response. If you have a response, these people need your help. That's why they came here, right? So, um, and we can help each other by filling in this spreadsheet. Uh, and if you want to look at the bottom of the spreadsheet, you'll see there's tabs that have what other questions were and what other people's responses were. So you could see it's littered with resources there uh, that um, might be beneficial or helpful to you. Like tons and tons, all of our Talking With Tech lives you guys have access to now. Um, and a lot of them are similar questions. As we continue to do this, we realize that we all kind of have the same struggles um, and challenges. And so definitely check out that resource. I guess the last question I'll ask before we end is, what'd you think? Was this what you needed? Was it fun? Was this uh, helpful? Was it good just to kind of sit in it and chat together? What'd you think? I know I enjoyed it. Hey, I enjoyed it too. It was great. Amazing. Thank you guys for being so great and engaging with us and helping to answer some of these questions and putting in the chat. It was super great to spend the hour with you guys. Yeah. Everyone here is your extended work family you can lean on each other to, 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 to figure out these questions together. You are not alone out there. Well, thank you. I know you guys need to run. You've got engagements after this. Um, many, many thanks to the both of you, Chris and Rachel, for joining us today. Yes. Thank you guys so much. You guys were awesome. Thanks for being on the podcast. 